Welcome to the space where creators have aligned a positive and intellectual collab of open minds. The sharing and learning from one another, it's a vibe. We give us a podcast on the mic. Subscribe, educators, spitting bars. I guess you didn't know, multifaceted and humble, taking off life goals. The classroom is my comfort zone, where I plant and sow. Seeds of knowledge, compassion, empathy, and hope. Reading is the key to unlocking your potential. Countless benefits, including cognitive and mental. Regardless of the genre, books are highly influential. Go get yours, I'll get mine. Make you strive Monumental Come rock with me And get down to this new jam Between my friends I had a very simple plan Educate the masses Through books and life lessons It's a grand slam I'm out Talofalava Kia ora And welcome to the Reads with Rossa podcast I am so excited to introduce today's guest He is an MC and stalwart of the hip-hop community In Christchurch, New Zealand He recently dropped his debut full-length album Stereotypes of a Polynesian Misunderstood, which follows the release of his 2019 EP, Underground King. Welcome to the show, Big Seema. Hi, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, it's a pleasure. You're all the way in Japan. That's just crazy to me. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, my name is uh, Big Seema, obviously. Um, I grew up in um, Papanui in Christchurch. Um, I'm of uh, Māori and Tongan descent. Um, with a little sprinkle of everything else in there. Um, and uh, yeah, we come from a place up in um, the top of the North Island called um, Kororareka or Russell. Uh, so we're um, Ngāpuhi, um, Mitiiwi. And um, yeah, I'm only just learning about my Tongan side. So uh, it's been an interesting journey, but um, I, hey, I'm really happy to be here. And um, yeah, just really happy to have a chat. and. Um, and let's go <laughs> man very honestly when you when you, were, when you were interested in coming on the show i was like so shocked day <laughs> i was like honestly i was like oh my gosh big sima wants to come hey oh, so it's an honor bro straight up it's such an honor to have you here thank you for coming through That's the honor um, to be here. so yeah i didn't i i was wondering what the pacific island oh you know what the mix yeah. was i knew you had uh, your maori roots but then when you mentioned tongan i was like oh okay cool so in yeah. terms of that are you uh learning bits and pieces of the culture learn uh trying to learn the language or even your te reo are you like strong yeah. in your te reo like what what's the situation there um i'd say i'm probably like um pretty foundational when it comes to te reo maori um I've got a crazy story to tell you about my Tongan side. Um, so growing up, um, my mum always told us that were that I was Samoan. So she um, was with my dad, and then my dad got sent back to the islands um, while she was pregnant. And then, um, as you know, sometimes with um, with especially in Samoa, like because my mum's um, she's she's Pakia, but she's also she's Maori as well. She's she's half caste, but back then to aesthetically she just looks like a pakia you know mm. so it's when she was with my dad um obviously his parents um didn't really approve of the relationship mm. she got pregnant out of wedlock so um you know uh, again you know for religious families uh, especially in samoa like him bringing back to samoa saying that he's having a kid to a, um a kiwi lady you know mm. and they're not married it was just red flags red flag central so um he got sent back to the islands and um so I ne I've never met him before um, in my life, but I've always had um, that deep knowing, like obviously knowing that, um, you know, I am Polynesian and um, growing up where I grew up, 
uh, a lot of people assume that I guess that Christchurch is just full of um, you know there's no PIs down here, which is crazy because there is definitely. So I grew up around a lot of PI in Māori, but um, you know my connection to my whakapapa with regards to my Samoan so I've always felt I always felt disconnected, you know. Um, you know how it is sometimes, especially I've been to Samoa before when you go over there. Um, they do, they like you get treated different if you're a New Zealand born Samoan, you know. Um, they, you know, especially if you don't know the language. So I always felt like a deep disconnection. Um, and but I still, you know, carried on with like, you know, um, trying to stay as connected as I could, but still I just felt that, you know. And then in my um, a couple of years ago, uh, my mum did her ancestry um and she found out that she 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 fully like uh reconnected with her mighty soul with her whakapapa. so that's how we found out uh where we come from up north and um that's how we found out what our iwi was and uh me and one of her cousins sent um a, a massive like you know like the history of our of our whanau pretty much which was crazy so so deep diving into that i got more connected with that side which was awesome um and then she had taken it uh, took her about six months to talk her talk me into doing my ancestry uh i finally did it and it turns out that i'm one percent samuel so <laughs> crazy yeah. i know i know so crazy so here's my theory and like this is my theory i'm just chucking out there like it's just absolute speculation but um i and, and this is actually it's not all the way speculation this is from talking to a bunch of OGs that I know that grew up in the same um, generation as my dad and my mum, um, in Christchurch as well. You know, during the labour crisis, like around the time that like heaps of PIs came to New Zealand, around the time of the dawn raids, mm. it's not heavily documented that there was dawn raids in Christchurch, but PIs were still getting um, treated the same with the pass laws, getting your passport, having to pull your passport down the street, still getting houses tipped over at like 6am or 4am or whatever, you know, crack the dawn. But because I think it got sort of nipped in the butt um, as well documented in the in the Polynesian Panthers um, biopic, it's like, you know, I, I don't think that um, the stories that have been told as much from down here, but I do know that there was propaganda out saying that um, Tongan men are aggressive towards um, women, that drink and they're aggressive towards women. So a lot of, um, you know, it's, it, it's sort of gone around there, like a lot of, Tongan men were ashamed to say that they were Tongan, you know. So they they would go around saying that Samoan, because Samoans are slick, you know, like you know, ladies, men, and stuff like that, you know. That's this and and that's facts, you know, all the way through. And so that's what that's sort of my theory, um, and that's just throwing it out there. So I just think that um, my dad was Tongan, and the other theory is that because of the Civil War, because of the war, like maybe he didn't know he was Tongan, which could also be. Um, a thing too, you know. So, um, so yeah, it turns out I'm a Tongan. It just sort of got thrust upon me, um, out of the blue. And the way what I believe about blood quantum is this: is that, you know, it's not that you're. Um, doesn't matter if you're 25 percent, 10 percent. You just are or you aren't, you know. And that that's my belief behind it anyway. And I know that blood blood quantum is also like a tool of colonization. Like they use it to um, to uh, create separatism between um. You know, and 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 elitism. You know, like um, saying, oh, you know, they want us to say, oh, you're only twenty five percent, and I'm thirty five percent. That makes me better than you, and we're not the same. You know, so um, yeah, I, I I totally understand that too. So I don't really take into consideration the numbers as much, but I do take into consideration like 
one percent compared to like twenty five percent, you know, because it doubles, right? So my day must have been half, right? Mm. And then we've got heaps of Micronesian, um, right. PNG, right. even Fiji, you know, which makes total sense, um, you know, for it to trickle down. And you know, DNA works quite simply as like, you know, they need the more information they have, you know, the more they're able to um, tell you, you know, it comes mm. to. Um, so yeah, that's my crazy story. But my mum, anyway, like you know, the craziest thing about it is my mum found her birth dad because my mum was adopted, and it turns out she had another five brothers and sisters, and we've met them now, and we're like become family. I already actually I'd already met my cousin before, and I never even knew it was my cousin. That's how crazy it is. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you got me you got me i, I was not expecting that i was like i was not expecting you to say that i was just yeah okay wow that yeah man that yeah. is yeah i know it's wow. crazy so yeah, now crazy. you've got an even bigger family which is pretty cool yeah well my mom so my mom's birth mom they're from a place called um tamuka have you heard of that before mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah it's like uh sort of it's it's south uh it's in canterbury um, but it's just outside, sort of like, you know, it's in the pr- province, if you will. Um, and so she, this is crazy, crazy history um, story. So she used to work for the unions, right? So she would go around to all the conventions and she would um, sort of lobby on behalf of um, labour workers and stuff like that, you know? And so she'll go to lots of conventions. So it turns out that she met uh, my mum's dad at a party one time. They had a fling, boom, she got pregnant, went back. And, you know, so crazy, pretty crazy. Yeah, so. yeah. I, it's interesting you mentioned that because it had me thinking about one of the songs on the LP. But I'll, I will get to that. I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. Cool, I'm gonna cool, come cool. back because I have a question about that. But I don't yeah. want to get too excited and jump ahead. Uh, man, wow, that is, yeah, that's a lot of history. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> um, hard, hard. You know, you've mentioned Christchurch, uh, growing up in Christchurch. How did you get introduced to hip hop, uh, uh, to rap, to hip hop culture? Like we, yeah. What was your first introduction to that? Um. So my first initial introduction to hip hop was through b boy. Oh, so okay. um, yeah. So uh, I used to see we used to there used to be these things in Christchurch called skate jams, mm-hmm. and there used to be this guy um, Chris who used to run these skate jams and like. So one day I turned up to the skate jam because I used to kick around the same cats. From where I grew up with, like we used to do everything together. So they used to have these skate jams in the in the Northlands Mall car park, right? And the, at the skate jam, they'd have like you know, dude skateboarding, obviously, and then they'd have live bands, and then they'd have a massive piece of lino, and cats would come out and break dance on it. And I used to be like, that's pretty crazy. And the right. thing that the, the thing that I was most enamored with was like just the square, like, and everyone standing around, and people cheering every time someone came out. And I just, I just had to be a part of that, you know? Like, it's sort of in my blood, I guess, to, I don't know, like, being a PI to want to perform, you know? Right. And, um, you know, so um, I, I just clung on to I just, you know, sort of jumped on board straight away and started to, like, I was self-taught from home. I was trash for a long time. But then we, we made our own crew, and then, um, you know, uh, we got some amazing opportunities. Like, we once we toured with um, Redkin, like, um, Cosmetics, like we did a national tour and like they wow. paid us all this money just to come out and like do us do like a three minute set and they paid us like ridiculous amount of money and like just the early hip hop summits um anyway not to go off on a tangent but so back to what what your initial question was about how about hip hop so definitely through b boy 
And then um, I used to go to YCD every Wednesday. They used to have hip hop classes. YCD is a youth center in Christchurch mm-hmm. called Youth Cultural Development. Um, pretty much everyone you can think of, every PI you can think of, from Oscar Kitely to Scribe to Lady Six to um, uh, to Mark Vanilo to um, you know pretty much any PI in Christchurch that was involved in hip hop music or anything has gone through YCD in some way, shape, or form, which is crazy. So. We, we sort of owe everything to YCD, and it's still there today, still doing the same thing. Work, they work a lot with youth offenders um, and youth justice, which is amazing, and they also run the Christchurch Hip Hop Summit now. So um, they just do the best work and um, for our PIs and Māoris and just for our kids in general, which is great. So, yeah, my first um, exposure to hip hop was, was through them, definitely. So I used to catch the bus, and later used to jump on my bus and Shirley, and then we all used to, like, there used to be a bunch of us all go to this one hip-hop workshop every Wednesday. So just crazy, wow. man, like, looking back at it, yeah. yeah. And then, like, you know, in terms of, like, rhymes and, and you know, were you someone who had a notebook? I know I asked this, I've asked this to other rappers that are, come on, like, yeah. did you have a notebook where you were, like, writing rhymes down once you were, once you caught that bug and you were like, yo, this is, actually, this is something I want to do? Or were you, you know, there are other MCs, it's all up here, you know, like, they don't yeah. need to write stuff down. So where were you at the beginning? Were you writing everything down or? Yeah, definitely. So like um, I can remember vividly, like everyone has got a story about how they used to write down lyrics to a song, right? And then they used to, um, you know, you know, they used to learn the lyrics to the song and then you'll go to a party. And this is before social media, all that sort of stuff, before Spotify and that. So when a song came on and you knew the lyrics, like you were the, you were the, you were the one, you know? And especially to certain rap songs, like all the Wu-Tang classics and all that, like we used to sit down and just like write out the lyrics, you know. And so um, I wasn't doing too well at school, but I knew that I had to get in a, a couple of credits just to like, you know, pass my full form year. And so my English class was like my strongest. So they asked us to do a, um, an assignment and I did my assignment on a Killer Priest song called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth Bible. And um, I basically wrote down the lyrics and then I, and then I wrote like a, um uh, an essay on what i felt like the lyrics meant to the to, to killer priest you know as he was writing them and um as i was like sort of you know starting to sort of break down these lyrics i was like oh this is crazy like you know maybe i could start writing. so i just started writing raps in my 1b5 in the back of english class and i ended up failing like <laughs> well, i passed with my assignment but because i just stopped doing work for the rest of the year i was just in the back of the class like yo yeah, and I can still remember my first rhyme as well. It was absolute trash. But um, it was cool because it was really like a, a representation of the times. You know, like, we're talking like, you know, it was, it was this is a long time ago, okay? This is a long time ago. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, for me, did I carry a notebook book around? Absolutely. 1B5, red, tagged all over, you know. Back then I used to call myself Charisma, so it was like Charisma oh, tagged yeah. all over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So crazy. But yeah. How many people how many people say that they used to carry a notebook around? I bet um, you I bet you um I bet you Rizvan used to carry one around, eh? Yeah, I mean I well, you know, Rizvan <laughs> says that, you know, he was the one he said that when he writes his rhymes, he write he writes it to let it go. So he's one of those that ever he's known for the fact that once he's recorded and done, that's it. he doesn't remember the rhymes. Like he it, he lets it go. I thought that was like, I was like, what? 
Um, mm. Yeah, so unless he has to perform or something, right? And then he's got to, like, you know, yeah, figure yeah. it out all over again. But yeah. But, but rehearsal is different than what he's saying. Yeah. And, so. I, and, and I definitely understand that too. And I think that, mm. that goes part and parcel with being a, the sort of artist that um, really talks about real life situations and like you know mm. and, and Rizzy's always been like that you know mm. um, even when he back in the day when he was quest like he's always right. been this good like it's just crazy but anyway yeah. i mean oh yeah <laughs> <You> <laughs> got, we gotta get into your yeah i mean for real i hear you 100 and we're gonna get into into your work as well into your craft mm. Um, but you know, you mentioned Wu Tang, um, but who were some yeah. other uh, rappers that you were? I don't know if idolizing is the word, like that you were really into uh, on the come yeah. up like, when you were coming up in the on the scene. Who were you kind of like listening to, or were you just really just trying to get yourself started and do your own thing? And you know, do you know? Definitely, I was enamored with like US rap, like uh, you know, like definitely big time pop. Like absolutely, all my homies, everybody, we used to sit and listen to All Eyes on Me and like yeah. take turns at rapping verses and stuff. You know, like that's how crazy it was. Um, Wu Tang, hundred percent. I used to go around to my bro John Hippie's house um, after school and would sit there and we'd play Triumph and um, we'd just like take turns once again taking turns at rapping verses. And like even now, when these young cats that I meet and they play Wu Tang and I'm like, I just like know every single word. And that's because right. it just gets ingrained in you, you know, when you're young, you know. Um, definitely, um, definitely Nas. Like the first, um, one of the first full-length albums I ever listened to was Illmatic. And it's because my brother had a dubbed tape from, he doesn't even know where he got it from. That's how crazy it was. I just used to go into his room. He used to live, live in the sleep out at home. And I used to go into his room and go through his tapes. And I got to the point where I'd been through all his big pun tape, his like Jodeci tape, everything, you know. And then I got to the tape and it had nothing on it. And it was just like a straight blank. And I remember bucking to school and I put it in the Walkman. Boom. I had fresh batteries. And um, I played it. And then the train intro came on. And I was like, oh, what's this? This is crazy. And then, boom, straight into the whole album. Like, that whole album was just like... And it's, it sounds cliche to say, like, that Illmatic's the greatest album of all time. But for me, at the time, being a young cat, like, sixth form, I think I was, listening to that album it made me understand like what real that, that to me was what rap embodied rap music was was their album and like you know even now like i there's a specific reason why there's 10 tracks on my album you know because i when i when i look at a, an album and like a complete body of work i feel like that's just the perfect amount of tracks to have on there you know so yeah so it's definitely definitely nas for sure yeah so then being young, brown, growing up in Christchurch, uh, at what point did you decide that you're going to pursue this? You, you're going to take rap seriously. You're going, do you know? Like, at what point did that happen? There was a lot of after high school. There was a lot of hazy years of being back and forth from being a b boy to being an MC. Uh, but it wasn't until. Eight Mile came out of the movies. Oh yeah, like yeah. when I, oh man, <laughs> I just can't even tell you. And like my bros, I'm still friends with today. Like even my bro that DJs for me and plays bass in my band, we were talking about it the other day, and we're like, bro, remember that time we went and seen Eight Mile at the movies? And everything changed. <laughs> like everything changed. Like yeah. people had no idea. Like the boom, the inst the freestyle battle boom in New Zealand was something that will never ever happen again. 
and it was so much bigger than the acapella battle scene like just so much bigger like it was it was almost at the point where like it took me a couple of battles to like figure out my style and then okay. once i got once i got a roll on like i was i was pretty much unstoppable for about two years i think i won like seven different battles all over the country you know and so um we got into we got into this crew where like a bottle battle would pop up in Dunedin, right? And it would be like five hundred dollars for first. So it'd be like, let's spend one hundred and fifty dollars to get down there. We'll, I'll go in, I'll win the money, and then we'll go. We'll have a great weekend, you know. So I actually got to the point where we, we could actually do that. Once I went to Queenstown, I went with my bro Charles, um, and uh, yeah, we went down there. They, there was this battle with the snowfest down there that disrupt the system was putting on, and it was like. This, the prize was crazy. It was like $1,000 cash. Like, and this is back when we were like 20, 21, you know? So crazy. $1,000 cash, like $500 headphones, which I gave to Infrared, actually. Um, $500 worth of clothes at Cheapskates. $500 bar tab at um, uh, Tardis. And then, like, something else as well. I can't remember. Yeah, but just crazy prize, you know? And I just, I feel like I just mowed for everyone, you know? Like, and that was back in the, you know, in my prime. So I wasn't really making music back then. I was just trying to be a freestyle battle, you know, because honestly, 8 Mile was such a huge movie to everyone right. that if you were the man at that, no one really cared about whether you made music. They just cared about, bro, this guy's the mean freestyle battler, bro, he'll kill you. So around that time, I started ringing into um, this radio show on Tahu FM, and it was called Gritty Antics, and they used to have – this, this hour, like, from 9 to 10 every night where you could call in and you could battle other people on the air, right? And so I used to call in and I used to call myself, um, uh, uh, oh, I can't remember now. It was after, like, a, oh, Woodstock, MC Woodstock, right? Because, like, every Wednesday night would be, like, um, on the drinks, going to, like, these dollar drinks in town or whatever. This is how crazy it was, maybe. Terrible. And, um... <laughs> So uh, I used to call myself MC Woodstock and I used to ring up and I used to destroy people. And then the guy that was the host of the show, who's like one of my longest time, longest friends, um, he turned up, he, he like, after I destroyed someone, he goes, bro, why don't you come in to the show and you can battle people like while you're in, in, in the in the station, you know? And I was like, what? Crazy. All right, let's do it. So I, so I, we first met up with him and um, I went into the show and they're like, we've got MC Woodstock here. And they're like, and he's like, nah. Let's just tell everyone what your real name is. And then I was like, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. just real kind of eats, you know, but funny as well, looking back, you know. And then um, because I'd won so many battles, people were like, wanted to, wanted to shot at me, you know. So every single Wednesday, the phones would be ringing hot of cats that like just wanted to destroy me, you know. And I just get on it. They'll always just be like someone like at home, like, you know, on the drinks, like, you know, whatever. And it'll just always be real funny, crack up times, you know. But um, from that, um, I ended up being a co-host on a show eventually, and then we started. We ended up working in TV together for three years as well on Māori TV. So, um, and then we're still best friends now, um, which is awesome. So, yeah, it's crazy. Like the eight mile boom was definitely <laughs> where I earned my stripes, you might say. So, you know something that's real crazy. This is real crazy. And I've only just found this out. Mm -hmm. There's a guy in Auckland that's produced for that for the first Critical album. No. Yeah, really? he's Israel Adesanya's best friend. His name's Freno, and he's really? on like Joey Badass's album. He's on Vic Mensa's album, I think. Like all these different. I love Vic Mensa. You know who else the albums he's on? He's on the new Kendrick album. Oh, <gasps> no, what? honestly, no cap. 
And this this is crazy, but I won't. I don't want to go off too on a tangent. But you should look him up. His name's Fredo AKL on on um on hey. IG. Yeah, it'll blow your mind. You'll be like, "What? This guy's produced for everyone." So yeah, and so, yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of him, but I just came across it one day because uh, I don't even remember why. But yeah, it's interesting. Eh? But yeah, so um, if if you know about Eight Mile and you know about the impact that it had mm-hmm. worldwide. Like it pretty much was the catalyst for, like there was there was um, MC battles happening like Scribble Jam and that, but they just weren't they hadn't been commercialized yet. Mm. As soon as Eight Mile came along, bam! Like people knew that it was a huge draw card for for crowds. People were turning up wanting to see, and every time you battle against a white dude, it'd be like, yeah. oh. <laughs> and they just had, they could say anything, and it'd be like, oh, like, oh come on, bro. Hey. But yeah. So through that, I ended up going to um, like the national finals, and then I battled New Zealand versus Australia with like um, Tyner and like I can't remember who was in there back then, Jay Rocher mm. and stuff. But yeah, just crazy times. Like um, obviously, Dave, like even David Dallas. Like I remember when he won the Auckland battles mm. and, as Consai, and then um, he jumped on with Jet Break and Rick, and then that whole right. thing, you know. Yeah, the whole Break and Rick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So many, so many cats have come through, um, and cut their teeth and 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 battling. Like even yeah. my record, like yeah. Like were you like you know the whole uh, breaking wreck uh, era? Were you, uh, in like around at that time, or were you like already like were you still doing b boy? Like do you know what I mean? Yeah. Were you? Were, did you know of those guys? Um, yeah. You know breaking wreck yeah. and all that, or. Yeah, I was I was um, working in TV during the Breaking Rick era, so we brought all the boys down for um for a, for a whole show. So we brought Cypherneto, um, Sire, um, uh, Rizzy, um, who else? Uh, Sam, Flippin, yeah, and I, I mean, like, still being like, you know, and I talk to Sam every now and then. And, like, I just have so much respect for those for those fellas, you know, right. but especially um usual suspects like. I, I don't know. care anyone's are the greatest New Zealand rap group of well, all time. Honestly, <laughs> me and my brother are like fans. We're huge fans. And it's yeah. just like every now and then we're like saying, hey, look, this is what I'm listening to. Like we we still jam usual suspects. I don't know what yeah. anyone says, man, because they were just doing something like at that time. I mean, that whole break and wreck like era was just they just don't get enough like flowers i think it's it's a pity yeah oh look can i just say something all right they need they needed a whole episode on that hip-hop thing like it's just it's an absolute and i think i've been on a rant about this before but like it's absolute Mm -hmm. travesty that they did it because without breaking wreck there's no david well i'm not gonna say there's no david dallas but like you know like even even sam pnc got his start like a day in the life with with um breaking wreck and like they just like embodied the underground movement you know mm-hmm. and like oh just i used to i just remember talking to nedek about like how much um you know how much trouble he had to go to just to get them like a little bit of a look in from the industry you know things have obviously changed now so i feel like there's more of a um platform for that type of music now um and it's still out there but it's just taken a different little bit of a different shape but even Louis, like, you know, um, oh, man, like, just some of the music that they put out back then was just insane. 
Like, yeah, be, being around in that era, going to a Breaking Rich show, catching a t-shirt, like in the crowd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they used to throw the t-shirts out. You'd be like, "Yo!" We had our own. We had our own little um, movement back then. Mm. Uh, this is before PNC jumped on with um, with Breaking Rich, and it was called Neighborhood Watch. And it was like uh, me, Tyson Tyler, Pucks the General, um, or Pucky Dunn. Um, who else? Uh, Perceive. Um, man, it was just a crew of like heaps of cats that used to be on Hip Hop NZ forums. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that it was just crazy. Like that, this was 2001 summit. So um, yeah, a long, long time ago. But the Breaking Ring, like, man, I say this, I can't say this enough. They need their own episode. Like, if Misfits of Science can have it, I mean... Oh, my God, bro. Let's not... Don't even get me started. <laughs> Do not even get me Misfits started. If Misfits of Science can have a, a, like, a, a damn episode, like, how... Yeah. The, I just don't get it. I don't understand. So yeah, that was a shocker, eh? Yeah. I was just like, where is... Who's responsible for this? Seriously. Come on now. Well, I think everyone assumes that, that Severus, but I don't think he is. I've never actually mm. talked to him about it, but... um, uh. Yeah, I, I just feel like, I mean, you know, they just, they, they need, they deserve their flowers. They need a damn lifetime achievement award or something, like, you know, okay. some sort of dedication. But this just goes to show, this just comes back to, like, you know, I mean, hip hop in New Zealand is oppressed, right? So it's, mm. in, in terms of genres, it's the oppressed minority, right? Of genres, right? So um, this is how I look at it. So in the industry, you look at hip hop and you say, right, everyone knows that when a festival lineup comes out, it's going to be three slots. Three or four slots for hip hop, really. Mm. There is um, that are not internationals. So it's usually like Mellow and Just Be, who are amazing performers for festivals, like and very experienced and have amazing music and amazing fan bases as well, mm. uh, which is great. And then there's usually a couple of other ones thrown in there as well. So when it comes to Christchurch hip hop, we're like, we're if you talk about intersectionality, we're even more, you know, more mm. so. And then women in Christchurch hip hop. That's where it really, what it really trickles down to. If you want to go deeper than that, then you'd have to be doing hip hop in Invercargill. You know what I mean? Because provincially, or like, you know, in terms of um, where you are in the country, actually determines like your success to a, to a degree, which is stupid. Especially now with like, you know, um, social media, with, uh, with streaming platforms and stuff, you, you'd expect things to be, you know, even or balanced, but they're not. So, um, I can only imagine what it would have been like for Breaking Rick back then, you know, um, trying to get a distribution deal because, you know, distribution is pretty easy to get these days because right. it's not physical, right? So it's um, so it's all digital. So you have, um, you know, your distribution, your aggregators out there like, um, you know, DRM, et cetera, for New Zealand and then there's a couple of Australasian ones and stuff as well. But imagine trying to get, um, a distribution deal for physical copies. So back then, which is what I think Nedic had the most trouble with, um, I imagine. Uh, so yeah, I mean, what a time to be alive it was, like mm. definitely. But I, I just definitely just I feel like it's a travesty that they just they haven't been given the the, the level of respect or the amount of respect that mm. they deserve. Definitely. Mm. Why did you change your name from uh, Charisma to Big Seema? Is it because Charisma was more like your b-boy uh, kind of like stage name, or at what point were you? And then, and then, what is? Uh, can you tell me? Yeah, Big Seema. Like, what does that 
what is what does that mean? Sorry, not to sound like rude dude or whatever. I've just been always know, curious. And I was like researching hard, bro. And I was like, someone give me the answer. Come on, Google. Siri, tell me what I mean for real, bro. Like, I, yeah. I, I had to ask. <laughs> yeah, so um so it used to be charisma and then um there was an OG that we sort of grew up with in Christchurch, um, who used to be in a band called Fusa. And he started calling me, he transliterated it into Galisima. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. And then so I went from Galisima, and then um, when I lived in Australia for a while, I used to hang out with these cats, Duty Mob over there, um, and uh, Joel Woody and his brother, and Joel and Shorty. And so they started calling me um, Sima, and then Big Sima. And then when I came back, I was like, oh, I might as well just keep it, because right. when you Google right. it, it's the first thing that comes up, right? Like, it's easy. And um, and it's still a connection to my Polynesian roots as well, and it's also like up to my history as well. So it still is sort of charisma, or it's like charisma, you know. Oui. But then yeah. it's been yeah, yeah. So it's, you know how you know how to say Australia, yeah, yeah, for Australia, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, right? Gotcha. I don't know gotcha. if there is. I, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's pretty much the story. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. I was so curious. I was like, man, come on, Google. Give me the answer here. No, it's not working. Well, the one time Google wasn't coming through, bro. For real, for real. Well, so, now, you know, well now we have the answer to it. Well, now we have the answer to it. So. Oi, let, you need to put that into Wikipedia, bro. Get it in there. On the yeah. notes, on the references. So, you know, um, so you mentioned uh, when you returned to the, uh, you know, to making music, because you did uh, walk away, uh, you know, from making music and how difficult of a decision was that for you to do like were you at a point in your life where you were like man you know what this is this is not the buzz right now this is not working you know were you just it's just I asked that question because I I interviewed another uh, artist and he had mentioned you know like he was just kind of going through this phase where he was over it like he was trying so many different things and nothing was really working so he was just like you know I, i'm about to i'm a, i'm gonna quit people didn't yeah. really know that about him until you know we were talking about this on the podcast so i was i was yeah. thinking about you because when i was researching and that i had read that on an interview somewhere and i thought man i wonder how difficult was that for you to just walk away from making music and yeah i, I think for me it was um to be honest like the old version of me when I was, you know, let's say the version of me from like 2011 till like when I threw in the towel, like 2016, mm -hmm. um, I, I sort of, I suffered with a lot of, I had really like bad entitlement issues and like, you know, high expectations, which as you know, like always lead to, to, to um, disappointment in the long run, um, especially if you don't do the mahi uh, internally, you know. And so I had to do a lot of work. Um, I had to do a lot of work on myself, like in terms of my own personal growth and stuff. And I was dealing with like just feeling like, um, um, you know, I was I was feeling jealous of my friends getting opportunities in there. And I just hated. It. I was just over it. Like to be honest, like I, I felt in a slump creatively. Um, I was living down in Dunedin at the time. Went through a bit of a breakup and then came back to Christchurch and then had this opportunity to sort of have a fresh start, you know. And I was like. And do I, I actually, when I first came back to Christchurch, I actually did try to, like, um, continue on. But I just felt like I was starting again. And I thought, you know, like, why don't I just start again and do something different, you know, mm. um, just for a change. I've spent so much of my time on this. And, you know, maybe it's just okay for me to live a life without this in my life. I still love hip-hop. Um, 
you know, I still have my friends um, in the culture and that, like, maybe I could just be a fan, you know, maybe I could be, just be a guy that didn't make it, but that's okay, maybe I could just go on and do something else, so um, I started, um, I've always, I've always hooped, and um, I started coaching basketball, and playing basketball as well, and so that pretty much took up my whole entire life, like, for a good year and a half, I would say, um, yeah, I was just coaching basketball, playing like four or five times a week, playing club basketball on the weekends, and then coaching under twenty threes. And it was it was just really like a really happy time in my life. But I always just felt like, man, I could, I feel like I could still do this, you know, because I'm in a real good place now. Um, but that time that I spent away from music, I confronted myself in terms of, look, man, like you know, you actually started to become quite toxic because. Um, and you know, it was showing in your in, in my art too. So every single song was about what was me, and mm. you know, I, I never make it, and like the industry hates me, and if the industry and all this, this, that, and the third. But actually, like it wasn't the industry's fault. It was just that um, I just kept on making that type of music, you know, and like just expecting people to come. Like you know, when I wasn't putting any um, focus on the number one production quality. Um, which we'll we'll get to soon, definitely. Uh, number two, um, uh, I guess my own brand and like who I was as a person. Like I didn't really have an identity, so to speak. You know, I was just this guy that had um, ten years prior. You know, had done this and that, and like, but nobody really knew about it, and I was frustrated about that. You know, and so looking back on the person that I was now, from who I am now, which is the probably like the realist version of myself um i take a lot of lessons from 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 that from that time and mm. i look back and i say yeah okay that's the that's it so now where i'm at now is um i i know this one thing and that's that if tomorrow this all goes away like all the music and i don't and for some reason i don't do it anymore then i'll just be happy being a dad you know mm. and uh, and i'm just at peace with that you know so anything that happens now is a bonus, but we don't. I don't work to goals anymore. I just work to a system, and the system is just to keep going, and like for it to integrate into my everyday life, and for it to not be the be all, be all and end all of everything. You know, so if we don't make it, or if this doesn't happen, like you know, I'll be so gutted, and like you know, mm. I'll, you know, I, I feel like I'll spiral because of. It. But it's not even like that. What it's like is. This is just my art. It's um, it's part of who I am, but it's also just my point of reference. So it's my perception. It's what I see. So I don't have to conform to any else, anyone else's agenda. I could just be myself, um, and I'll be happy with that, you know. And whatever happens, happens. I'll still put in the work, but mm. I think where I, where I've gone wrong in the past is I've had this goal, and then I've worked towards the goal, and then I haven't got it, and then boom, disappointment, you know. Whereas now we just keep on going regardless. We've missed out on some things, you know, and we've had some great opportunities as well and we'll continue to have them, but we won't focus on any one opportunity as like, you know, oh, if I don't get that, it's going to get me down. So that's the difference with me then. Um, that's the difference between now versus me then is that, mm. man, I'm just out here just doing the best that I can and like, you know, I'm making the kind of music that I want to make and I'm just really happy with that. So, mm. yeah. And on that point, I want to talk about your most recent release, uh, debut LP, Stereotypes of a Polynesian Misunderstood. The entirety of the album is mixed, recorded, and produced by the man, legendary 
Tiki Tane, who, who is, I uh, will get to him soon because he's a very good friend, mentor, a collaborator mm. of yours. Uh, it was, yeah, all of that, Tiki Dub, Solar Powered Studios. Um, and, and this, this LP, you know, it's, it's, it's about life lessons, eh? Like you've alluded to some of it already, um, you know, those stories of triumph and challenges, uh, and so forth. You know, I read on a post, I think it was a post that you wrote on, that you put on Instagram that was it like 18 months or so? Like it took a long while, this project, there wasn't something that, you know, like a few months you had it all done produced everything finished like it was a real long process there was no rushing in it you know the the whole creative process from beginning to the end uh when production was all done like it was a real it was a real journey so you know can you speak to that experience um and why you were not rushed to kind of like just put put it out the project out there yeah i guess um this project's been through um, lots of different stages. So it started out being Underground King 2. So and right. in its earliest form, it was Underground King 2. And I thought, yeah, this is this is what we've got to do, definitely. Like, you know, um, this is the, the type of, um, this is the next project for sure. And then we might work on an album, you know. And then um, as my life started to go through lots of different changes, um, our relationship broke up. Um, you know, becoming a father, um, losing a really close friend um, to suicide, like all these different things started happening in this like period of like a year, you know, and so obviously that influenced my music. So it got to the point where, and this is crazy to say this, but like it got to the point where instead of writing about stuff that I'd seen, it was actually like, it was stuff that I, things that I'd seen, but they were happening at the time that I was writing about them, you know, and that even talking about that is crazy like even losing my friend mighty like um and my my homies you know if they listen to this they know like you know how much of an effect they had on all of us but um i guess i started writing songs that just didn't really fit the narrative of the underground king too right if you look at the first ep like back in the day storytelling that big shot like you know big sort of trap song and then rose flow like battle sort of vibes keep calms like hip-hop and that like you know underground king 2 to me was going to be sort of like not a mirror of that but sort of the same sort of type of vibe you know it was only going to be six tracks so you only have sort of a limited amount of space to be able to and so i when i wrote neverland like you know it was like oh how does this fit in with the vibe of underground king you know it doesn't really make it doesn't really have um the same level of cohesion you know so I was like, okay, so Neverland was the first single. Um, and then the second one, oh, so it went from Neverland. And so when we released that, um, man, like that sort of changed everything for me, to be honest. Like uh, that song um, I did with, uh, with, with Summer Thieves. Right. And um, I was probably in like the, one of the darkest, the deepest, darkest places that I'd been at that time. Um, just coming off um, my daughter being born losing my friend and my relationship breaking up. So um, it was a pretty cold and dark time, but that was my shining light, right? So when we made that, I had these young cats messaging me saying about how um, the song had affected them, how they'd lost friends and, like, you know, how much the song meant to them and stuff. And um, that sort of just, like, I, I've never – and honestly, I've never had 
like that before. You know, I've, I've had people say, oh, like, you know, I love your music. Your music's amazing. Like, back in the day, I had a really good response and stuff. But to have people, like, say that, oh, you know, we played Neverland at my friend's funeral and stuff, like, it's crazy, you know? And, like, uh, mm. I think that's where I realised that, you know what, like, actually, maybe storytelling is really, like, what I'm actually here to, to do, you know? Maybe I'm actually here to be, to, to, to pass on stories to, to, to people and like to, to touch them and tell and, and talk about things that are real and like you know maybe this is actually like my purpose you know with music you know it's not to be this and that or like you know to be the big shot and then the rose flow and then the back of the day and the keep calm you know maybe it's just to um to tell some stories from my own perspective like some real some real ish and um so I started with with Neverland, and so I just started on this just this train of writing songs, and most of them, you know, um, you hear on the album and stuff. But um, yeah, that's that's sort of where it started. And then I I didn't have the name until maybe like a year and a little bit in. Wow. And then, uh, <laughs> before that, I think it was called. Nah, it didn't even. It had. It didn't have a name for ages. I just had this drive, this Google Drive folder. Yeah. And I'd just add songs to it and take them away as the, as Tiki would mix them, you know. And then it started to take shape and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, And then I was at my friend's house one day and we were, we were, unpa- we were unpacking some gym gear out of his garage and we are listening to Juicy. And um, the line came up and it was like, stereotypes of a black male misunderstood. Mm. And I was like, bro, like, could I call my album stereotypes of a Polynesian Polynesian male misunderstood mm-hmm. and he's like nah it's too wordy and I go what about like stereotypes stereotypes of a Polynesian misunderstood and he's like yeah actually that's pretty crazy like you could use that and like it, it actually like the title of the album speaks to like a whole entire generation of Polynesian mm-hmm. men you know or Polynesians in New Zealand that have been misunderstood like definitely myself and definitely the cats that I grew up with like even from school, like the education system, everything, like no one really underst- understood us as um, as Polynesians, as Maoris, as indigenous people, you know, um, they didn't know how to teach us, they didn't know how to speak to us, they didn't take into consideration all the different dynamics in our lives, like religion, um, home environment and stuff like that, so um, that to me was the perfect way to carry on from, you know, from back in the day. You know, from that story mm. is, to, is to sort of step into my power there and be like, you know what, like this is, I think I, I can be actually like quite at peace with just being a storyteller, you know, and, um, you know, still do the other stuff for fun and like, you know, um, but this is where I want to be right now. And, you know, I'm really happy with being able to tell these stories and um, I just get lo- lots of messages from people just like just giving me feedback on how like stories have affected them and stuff. And I just, yeah, yeah. So and well, here we are <laughs> here we are i mean story you yeah. know being a storyteller um it's not you know something that you should take lightly i mean you know it is a form of education it, it you know it's it's life lessons and experiences um that are part of your journey um and maybe the journey of your loved ones and those closest to you uh, mm. but it's these stories that resonate you know with listeners um even if it's someone who is just coming across your music for the first time and i think a lot of the times 
uh, where, you know, these days we live in day and age where we're just looking for the next viral thing. That's the thing. What's going to go viral? But we forget that, you know, just how powerful uh, music is. And your music is powerful. Like the some of the topics uh, is education because you are talking about things like conversion therapy. You're talking about uh, systemic racism. You're talking about childhood trauma, uh, drug addiction, social issues. And it's so interesting. Yeah, like when you say, oh, you know, maybe I am a storyteller. And I just got to say, bro, don't take it lightly because it is a form of advocacy as well. It is a form yeah. of, of activism. And though yeah. you may not look at it like that, but your lyricism and your rhymes, that is what that is. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I'm rambling, but I just had no, to say I, that. I, like, I totally agree with you. And that's, I think that's what it got, got when, when I said about stepping into my power mm. was like just accepting the fact that like this is this is what I was this is my purpose you know and I'm just totally at peace with it and I think that when I've when I formed that identity and I was just mm. like it was like a light bulb went on and I was like oh actually like this is what I do and I'm actually mm. quite good at it and I've actually got a lot to say you know and um it, it has, it's actually like a a, a real um a moment of enlightenment almost mm. you know just being like yeah here we are you know we, we've actually got an identity finally after so long mm. of you know jumping on different um vibes and like riding different ways we finally um we're finally at a place of peace where we could just um speak our minds and like feel comfortable doing it yeah as you were dropping teasers for the uh for the album you know when it was getting ready to drop uh you said something like um you know i've made this album from my perspective didn't ride no waves didn't copy no styles mm. didn't read anyone else's notes i just did me start to finish straight authentic mm. bro that that was deep i mean and and i think that that's very important and it's going to take me to my next question which is some of these things you talk about these stories you're telling I mean, they're it's it's they're difficult to to talk about, and and yeah. so when you're recording these tracks, like knowing that you're actually rhyming about trauma that you experience, like how do you prepare? <laughs> how, okay, maybe I'm making a big thing up. No, you're right. No, how you're, do you you're prepare yourself right. mentally yeah. to to lay the track to actually stand in front of the mic? And 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 drop the track uh, to you know and and to do it justice without breaking down, which kind of sounds dramatic. Do you know what uh, I mean? Like, not, how do honestly, you... no. I swear, I swear to you, I swear to you that I have like on on numerous occasions, especially with Neverland as well, because of the time mm. uh, and what I was going through, um, and what and what people in my life were going through because of some of my actions as well. So it was like a real, like, uh, you know, like trying to get it off. And like, Tiki will remember the day that we recorded the vocals for it, um, that I had to take a minute just like a couple of times. Um, yeah. And like, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, uh, trying to, I guess, <sighs> trying to work around that level of emotion and still give a compelling performance lyrically mm. is real hard because. You know, um, as you know, like what what trauma can do to you, and what um, you know, be when you're really emotional, it just like takes all your all, all your breath out of it takes all the breath out of you, you know. So trying to deliver like verses and stuff, it was just yeah, it was really crazy. Like to be honest, like even in truth, 
like uh, even those verses are hard too because talking about my daughter and stuff and like um yeah you're you're i mean it's not dramatic at all like you're just right on the money like it is it was really hard um especially neverland neverland was just insane and you could probably hear it in there to a degree as well you know like uh in the cadences and the cadences and stuff and um you know i um i've i still listen to that song and i can still relive the moment you know that i recorded it you know quite clearly and uh but now you know what because things are just so much better now now it's just a moment in time that is reflected through us a beautiful song that you know will live now forever so um and it has actually turned into like a such a such a positive part of my life now you know like and things was just so good like my life in general is just so good and i probably spat on about it too much on um instagram but the reason why it's so good is because you know like um my relationship with my daughter's mom is just amazing and like my family life and stuff like that and um and and i just have really good people around me and i had to go through what i went through during the creation of that album to teach me a lesson about um about i guess resilience like big mm-hmm. time like just sticking it out because far out there were times where oh he doubt like there's so much negative self-talk and self-doubt that you um, have to endure during the creative process of um, producing an album, um, especially when your only job is to write the lyrics. Um, you know, I don't handle any of the production or anything. I just got to write the lyrics and I've got to live. I've got to sit on them for a long time. So when you talk about before about Rizvan, um, about how he just lets it go, mm. like, I've never been someone that can do that because I actually sit on songs for a long time and go over them over and over and over them until i know them inside out because that's mm. my way that's my that's that's my process of um of recording is that i never i try not to go in mine and ticky's process is like i try not to go in and read the lyrics i have to go to know them and then i do them all always do them in one take and we don't do any bvs so that's our process and so i like try to so you end up they end up being part of your sort of life almost so mm. that's why i can remember verses from like you know seven eight years ago Right. Uh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, they do the 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 lyrics to me and like just writing in general is such a deep part of who I am. That mm. um, yeah, when you talk about um, how can you deliver that stuff without being overcome with emotion, the answer is that you just let it flow through you and you just um, you just keep going until you until you get it. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. You know the song. Um... Is it revolutionary? Did I say that right? Yeah. The song with Tikitane. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, there's the, it's that line, like every time I listen to it, that line that's like, until we fix our people, we will never be free. Yeah. Like it's that yeah. line that is just so freaking powerful, bro. Like it's just, yeah. and then the core, and then so we stand strong, we're calling for hands on. Uh, my people, so tired of singing them sad songs. We're standing yeah. on picket lines for all them past wrongs. I'm talking about resolutions call it a revolution like when you mentioned your mom earlier um and you know the work that she used to do for unions it made me think about that song you know the picket lines and and you know advocating and and activism and that kind of stuff Uh, can you just speak a little bit about that song and um Yeah. yeah um okay so um yeah i mean that verse i mean that song revolutionaries is 
as a song to me is on the album is probably like the most important song to me personally. Um, the reason being is that um, I guess I see the world from two different perspectives, from the normal law-abiding world, and then I, because of um, my past, I see it from the underworld perspective too. So um, being around a lot of people that were involved in criminal enterprise and stuff, you learn a little bit about the, the law as well. So you start to see things systematically that are happening, that the government are allowing to happen. One of those things was um, was um, party pills was the first, right? So party pills gateway into methamphetamine addiction, right? Mm. So the, the majority of our population at one point in time has used like BCP or whatever because you could just buy it over the counter at like a sex shop or whatever, you know, um, Cosmic Corner. Um, so there's a whole generation of people that use BZP recreationally. And then when the government decided that you can't use it anymore, they took it away. And then people spiraled into methamphetamine use, right? Because they'd already been addicted to a stimulant, right? The next pro the next sort of experiment that the government did was um, synthetic cannabis. I don't even like calling it synthetic cannabis, but cities anyway. So they did the same thing, right? So they, um, you know, they sold it in sex shops. Um, and that people got addicted to it. They took it away. Um, now, the whole time that it's in the sex shops, they're making money off um, off the sale and supply, right? But then we have the Misuse of Drugs Act where people go away for like a decade for the sale and supply of um, harmful substances. But then they've made money off the sale and supply of harmful substances, and which has also led to a whole generation of um, young people being addicted to synthetic cannabis, right? Um, so they took it away, then they bought it back, then they took it away again. So this is systematic oppression, right? You know, like how to oppress uh, um, uh, the, the indigenous people of this country is just the same as how they did it with colonization, right? They bought, they they showed us alcohol, they showed us religion, they showed us everything, that anything that would take us away from our cultural identity. So the reason why I wrote Revolutionaries was to say to people, look, you know, we are tired of singing sad songs. We're tired of standing on picket lines, talking about the same the same co-papa over and over again. Um, Lambeck, like I've got a friend, a friend of mine, Talia, she's involved with, with Lambeck and she's just got like um, some Fenowabek, um, you know, where she comes from and stuff. And like, she actually inspired this song because I used to talk to her, deep convos about her, um, with her, you know, late night and we used to talk about, um, you know, all sorts of different um, political movements throughout, you know, time and throughout history in New Zealand. But the main one for me was like just how we were being like systematically oppressed from the inside out and we just didn't even know, you know? And so when I wrote that, um, you know, when I wrote that verse or when I, that was the verse I wrote first mm. and then when I wrote that hook, like I wanted to say, you know, my, my whole thing was, look, you know, this doesn't have to be about um, anything other than what it is, right? And what it is to me from my perspective was is that, for the last, for as long as I've been an adult for, there's been something there for us to get addicted to, hooked on. Alcohol harm is huge, like, it's crazy. Like, growing up in a culture where, you know, you go and play rugby in the weekend or whatever, and there's just alcohol there for, you know, just at arm's reach, it's just, you know, it's insane. And the, the, the level of harm that it's done, um, you know, to our people and to, to, to anybody, um, you know, from that type demographic is just is insane. So 
before I go off on a tangent and start talking about all my um <laughs> <laughs> breathe, you're but, good, you're good, you're good. Just take a deep breath. <laughs> um I guess um so the first verse of revolutionaries mm. is me talking about um you know um the effects that cannabis has on uh, that synthetics ha have had on you know and that story that I tell about how the cousin picks up the camera that's an mm. actual YouTube video. Oh really? Yeah, I, w I was curious about that. That's an actual YouTube video. So um if you I can actually send it to you if you yeah. want to see it. But yeah, for sure. So for th sure. that was the YouTube sure. video that I seen um where um a family member points it at them while they're on synthet on cines mm. and he's like look at you use a disgrace and there's kids in the background and stuff. Mm. So that was something that I seen, and that was a real eye opener, you know, because, um, man, like, how can we just be letting this happen, right? Right. But who's who's actually responsible for it? When they talk about meth, they talk about gangs, they talk about organized crime, they talk about the one percent, mm -hmm. etc. But who's responsible for that? Because it's 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 not us, you know. We're not responsible for um what's happened to our own people. That's actually the government's responsible for allowing that to happen. And allowing a whole generation of, of people to be um, to have substance abuse issues, which is crazy. Mm. You know, to me, it's just crazy. And then um, when I yeah, when I got um, Sekar on, who's a, like you know one of my oldest friends, I've been friends with him for about twenty years. Um, I wanted him to speak from the perspective of um, um, our tangata tiriti, you know, our peop, our, 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 uh, the people of the treaty, you know, so like mm. one of our allies, you know. So when he did his um, speech, now he's he's been uh, he's got three degrees, and he's been through um, some uh, institutional gaslighting, right, with a with a educational institution before, quite serious mm. at a serious level. So a lot of what he talks about is like, you know, how much sort of um, the education, the whole idea of education is like, you know, it's it's a form of oppression as well. Like you know, it's capitalism, right? So you go to mm. school. You know, you get a degree and then you uh, you go to school, you get good grades, you go to university, get a degree, you get a good job, professional development, all whilst you're contributing to society, right? So you're in the circle of capitalism. So, um, And then you die. When you die, you leave all your uh, money to a family member and then that family member continues on, right? So you leave all mm -hmm. your, your everything you own, right? So I guess that that's sort of what his um, co-papa was. And then so we had those two verses and the hook and then um, I was up at Tiggy's and we recorded it. And then he said, oh, you know what? This needs, like, just some, I reckon someone to sing here. What do you reckon? I was like, well, yeah, definitely. Anyone in mind? And he goes, well, I could do it. And I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Nah. Are you sure? Are you sure? You know? Um, so, yeah, and then that just became what it was. And then, obviously, the, the symphony orchestra performance mm. after that. And, yeah, so... Sorry to go off on a rant, but like, no, yeah. it's, it's it's all good. It's it's super dope. Yeah. I love that song. So yeah, I kind yeah, of cool. I wanted to ask. I knew there was way more uh, behind it, um, and yeah. and I mean there are just a lot of gems on on the LP, and I wanted to really I wanted to ask because something that I really like is the use of uh, the spoken word uh, in mm. um, the stereotypical interlude. I'm a fan of interludes on on some of these like rap albums um, about that so i i wanted to know like how did you connect with i i don't know if i'm gonna say his name wrong i'll probably say it wrong dietrich so yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah so i mean that was such a cool touch to have how did you connect uh with him and get him on there for that for that interlude very cool yeah very great. I'm, I'm, 
yeah, I'm a huge fan of that of his work too. So last year at the Hip Hop Summit, um, there was a day where um, a whole bunch of people got invited to keynotes. So uh, DJ Severe did one, Matt Brown from um, my father's uh, did one. I did one. Um, uh, one of my bros that's um, on the High Council in Otaku um, for Kaitahu, he did one as well. So we're all just in the same room. It's just an amazing vibe. And then Dietrich just gets up and he goes, right, I'm going to do some spoken word. And because he was the host, sorry. So he's like, I'm going to do some spoken word now. Um, and then he just starts doing this poem. And I was like, just boom. I was like, whoa, okay, cool. Wow, this guy's amazing. Ever since I heard Lupe, Lupe Fiasco's Food and Liquor album, there's right, like right. the intro, you know, the intro where she goes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd always wanted a spoken word intro or interlude on my album. And I hit him up right then, I, like after the keynotes were over, I go, bro, I've got this great idea. I've had it for a long time. And I think that you could bring it to life. Like, you know, would you be interested on in, like recording a piece, like writing a piece specifically for my album and then recording it and then we'll put it on there. And he was like, Oh, yeah, like, real, like, you know, laid back. He's such an, oh, it's just the nicest dude ever. And so he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be keen, bro. I'll definitely be keen. I was like, okay, cool. So a couple of weeks later, I jacked it up. He came to um to my bro's little home studio, and um he had already sent me, like, the lyrics and then, like, a voicemail version of it. And I was like, when I heard it, I was like, oh, man, like, just so blown away. So he recorded it, and then we got, um, Mark Smith, who uh, plays guitar in, in Boomtown in my band, mm. um, to do the to play the guitar, and then Tiki produced it, um, and then we made the video for it as well, um, which we use we, we're going to use in a couple of live shows coming up for visuals. But yeah, I mean, it's a juxtaposition, right? You know, like it sort of takes you away from the rap, you know, and that was the whole idea of it was to have it like you know right in the middle, trick sets, you right. know, so. After um you know after backup it just goes into this, this crazy like Metallica sounding <laughs> guitar riff you know and then boom it takes you away and then it goes into Neverland so it's kind of like yeah it's like like the juxtaposition to sort of like um throw you off but keep you on if you will yeah right yeah you know but I, he's I, such a I, he's amazing yeah I mean it was such a cool I was like yo this is dope I did I looked him up did some I was like okay that's what's up um but you know yeah. I, I want to ask about one more um track living proof yeah. um you know I, I when I was doing research on you um you know obviously there were like four singles that you kind of like you know there were singles that were dropped as like teasers for the album and and whatnot um but I really wanted to ask about living proof because like I just I listened to it quite a bit and what is this not just story but the stories behind that that track like that's what I'm curious about um if, yeah, if you so, can um, share yeah yep, absolutely <laughs> uh so the first verse is about my friend and it's a it's it's someone that I was friends with at high school but mm. I don't talk to her much now but I have been in touch with her recently and I said to her, um, how do you feel about this blood? Obviously, I didn't mention her name or anything, but how do you feel, feel about me telling your story? And she said to me, how in God's name do you remember all that? But she said, and like detail-wise, she was so stoked. But I said to her, look, I'm not going to um, tell people who you are or anything like that, but are you happy with, you know? So I'm just going to get that out of the way just so everyone knows. Um, mm. 
but it was a good friend of mine at high school. Um, we grew up together. She was like the homie, you know. Mm. Uh, but she was also like, I mean, quite obviously like tomboy gay, you know, mm. like to the max. And even she would attest to that. And um, this was the first time that I'm encountering conversion therapy of any kind, mm. right? So her dad's like big in the church, like, you know, he's sort of like, um, there's the pastor and then there's him. And he's, they were from, um, oh, should I say the church? Yeah, it's been a while. So they were from um, Ifakasa. Mm. And so, um, yeah, very, very big. They were very big in the church, but just hugely religious to the max. So they would do things like um, they would invite boys, like, you know, um, for Kongai on a Sunday, you know, there'd be like lots of boys from the church. And she'd be like, oh, this is um, so-and-so you try to introduce her, you know, because they just wanted to deny the fact that she was mm. – um, you know that she, that she was that she was gay and like uh she used to come to school all the time and tell us about how um you know she'd have to put her ba- her her clothes in her bag and then leave for school in a in a school skirt and then change into pants stuff like that you know mm. and because the reason why we bonded is because I have two mums right so my mum I've always I've grown up up around the rainbow community hard like mm. um you know that's like fano to me like big time you know and growing up with two mums. Um, being raised by women as well, um, I've just always had more girlfriends than guy friends, to be honest. And even my best friend now, like my best, my closest homies are um, are, all, are all wahine as well. And so, seeing this happen to her, you know, and being there for her like all the way until her seventh form, and then her, she went and got a job, and she was like, "If this, I'm flipping out of here." She she actually like went on um she went on this mad research rampage and tried to figure out how to emancipate herself from her own family mm. right super smart but just she just had this idea that she could just um leave her family and it'd be fine and this is a Samoan family you know and a prominent one in the community as well so it was just crazy like at the time looking back at it and just thinking far this is so it was just so it's so inspiring to me now back then i didn't understand what that word even meant really but right. looking back at her strength and her resilience, I was, I'm just like just overcome with like awe at this person that just, you know, she was overcoming adversity from in all aspects of life, you know. She was dealing with at a time where, um, you know, it, there was there was people around like that we knew that were that they were there, but they weren't out of the they, they they hadn't come out or anything, which was fine. Like no there was no pressure, but it still wasn't as accepted as it is today. You know, mm. and especially for um, and I know the, the crazy thing for me is like having um, Fafine and and stuff like that, but then not accepting her. You know, it's it's kind of like it wasn't keeping the same energy to me. You know, so um, when I started writing Living Proof, I wrote the second verse first, and I was like, oh, like you know, I'd love to tell the story. You know, and the, it was actually just the beat just took me in that direction. Right. And, um. Yeah, so I started writing about her, and so what she actually did was she worked at this um, this coffee shop. I won't say which one it was because to anyone that grew up around that time, they'll know exactly what it is. But she worked at this coffee shop straight out of high school, saved all her money, like lived in the dungiest flat in the middle of the town, and um, saved all her money, and then went on her OE and never came back. Pretty much, like she married a. Um, a, a she married a lady from like some must be somewhere over there, mm. I think, and then uh, they broke up anyway. But then yeah, she's still living over there and like just it's insane, you know. So um, after I wrote yeah, once I wrote the second verse, uh, which we'll get to in a minute, um, 
yeah, I got into that, and it just means a lot to me, like, growing up with two mums and growing up around the rainbow community, like, it's just, like, it means a lot to me, to be honest, and um, I'm really glad you asked about it, because mm. it's sort of, like, to me, and because it hasn't come out, because the album hasn't come out on streaming platforms, but it is on right. the 26th of August, it is on the 26th of August, though, I, I haven't really got that hit yet for, for that song, you know, yeah. only from people that have bought the album, which is right. amazing, but, um, I wonder, you know, if it's going to be picked up. Um, I know there's a there's a certain, you know, um, listener that will pick up on the storytelling like that. But yeah, that's always interesting. So thanks for asking. Oh yeah, no, I had to ask because then, like the second, you know, then there's I think it's a second verse talking about breaking the cycle, healing, yeah. like the healing process. Yeah. Um, and then I think you also mentioned to your two moms, and the, I mean, it was just the whole. I yeah. was just so curious about that that creative process that kind of brought mm. uh, those experiences and those important stories together. So I'm glad I asked. <laughs> and then, yeah. um, you know, your relationship with uh, Tikitane, uh, tell us about that. You know, we cannot talk about this, this new project <laughs> without What's talking that? about yeah. the history behind, the yeah, your relationship, our uh, working relationship, friendship with the bro. Yeah. So um, when did I first meet Tiki? I think I, oh, man, I should really know this stuff. But anyway, so so Tiki's wife, oh, it's so crazy saying that because I only just got married recently. Um, Tiki's wife's my best friend. So um, we went through a whole lot of just getting off drugs, like, you know, trying to go on the straight and narrow, trying to, like, fix ourselves um, at a real, like, crazy time in Christchurch, like, uh, around the earthquakes and that. And um, we formed a friendship and we became just, we just hit it off straight away because she's just the bomb, you know. And she's a really, like, un amazing, supportive friend. And so when she went away and she met Tiki and they fell in love, she rang me. I was living in Dunedin. And she rang me and she said, oh, bro, you know how I went to meet Tiki? Like, we've just, like, fully fallen in love. And I was like, oh, that's so cool because he's just so wicked. You know, he's such an awesome dude, an awesome cat. And um, then he came down to Dunedin to... Um, to produce the Summer Thieves album at Albany Street, which is a studio, university studio in Dunedin. And, um, yeah, we just, we hung it, and um, there was just so much mana shared, you know, mm -hmm. between us. And I just knew, that oh, this guy's the we're going to get on so well, you know. And we went out that night, and, like, you know, uh, we actually spent a good three years just being mates, because in that time I pretty much gave up music anyway. So we just spent three years becoming mates before we even made any we did make a few like random things but um yeah we just we just worked on our we didn't work on it it just happened naturally you know like just being mates and like having fun and like partying and going to gigs and just having a laugh and like yeah so it became like their their they became like second family to me like um and this is you know like i said i have to say i can't stress enough this is before the underground king was even born so right um this right. is this is like 2015 to 2018 pretty much um and then my birthday in 2018 august in 2018 around this time actually um he came to my birthday party in Christchurch. he was playing a gig at uh when he's down um uh, down here so um he came to my party and he just finished building his studio at his house in a couple more and he said to me, oh, um, you know, I didn't get your present, bro, but, you know, if you ever want to make music again, I'll produce you for free, right? And I was like, what? Maybe. <laughs> the, 
maybe this is the opportunity I've been waiting for my whole entire life. But maybe I had to go through this whole giving it up and like sort of like reintroducing myself to myself, you know. And I was still on a journey, and like I'm still on a journey today. It's like you're always a work, as far as I'm concerned, you're always a work in progress, you know. It's never done. The work is never done. But at that point in my life, I was just really happy. Um, I was with my daughter's mum at the time. She was pregnant. And I was like, right, maybe we can make some some music, you know. So I went home. I made this little writing studio at the back of, um, of our house. And I went out there and I started to write. And, man, everything I wrote was, wrote was absolute trash. Because I had to shake the rust <laughs> off, right, you know. Right. <laughs> it had been so long, so I was, like, shaking the rust off. The first thing I wrote was Keep Calm. So the very first verse to Keep Calm I wrote first. And um, then after that, so I went up for a recording session, like maybe, I want to say like January of um, 2019. No, 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 no. Like November of 2018, I went up for a recording session. And out of that session, we got Back in the Day, right? Mm. So, man, we got one good song. Great. And so... Um, the next session, we got Rose Plum, Big Shot. I'm oh, sorry, we got Keep Calm back in the day. And then next session, which was in like January, we got um, Rose Plum, Big Shot. And then um, the intro came after that. And then Jesus, my drug dealer, etc. So all of a sudden, we just like got to this point where he had all these songs recorded. What I didn't know was working with Tiki is that I always knew he was a great producer. But I'd never in my whole entire life heard myself sound like the way that he made me sound, right. sonically, you know. I'd always used to listen to, um, and this is a great example, was I used to listen to David Dulles, his music, and the way that his voice used to project over beats, you know. And I always used to be like, man, well, how do we get to that, you know. And that's how you get to that, was was having a producer that's that good. I honestly feel like, and this is, I might have a biased opinion, but, just on um, overall variety of work and like moving through different genres and the work that, that the bro's done like for different albums and projects and like who he's produced for and the cell dub and then the ticky and then doing sound for shapeshift. I think he's the greatest New Zealand producer of all time. That's in my honest opinion, you know, and um, I, I, yeah, I still working with him to this day. I'm always like so appreciative to have his time. Because when you when you've been around him long enough, you know what how precious his time is. Because everybody wants a piece of it, you know. Um, so even now, after this album's finished, I'm just like, you know, I'm ah oh, man, like this is just a once in a lifetime opportunity, and um, to do two projects together um, has just been like amazing. And he's just so good at what he does; he makes it seem easy, um, even if it's not. And to me, that's that's just true talent when someone makes something that's really, really hard, not really, really easy. So, mm. um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> solid, solid, bro. And then yeah. self care, how do you know, self care, how do you look after yourself? You know, what are some things that you enjoy doing that have nothing that a total disconnect from music? I mean, I don't know music. if you, if, yeah, like what else do you like to do to take care of your uh, health? Yeah, go to the gym. Um, I've just started back on my gym journey. You know how it is. Uh, you fall off, you get back on. You fall off, you get back on. But um, one thing that I've changed recently was I just started inter intermittent fasting. So I've been doing that for about a month and a half now, and it's going so great. It's going so good. Like, I feel like um, this could be my thing, maybe. 
and like being a PI, you know how the you know how the food comes out for dinner and then it comes oi. out again at midnight. <laughs> oi, oi, don't even don't even get me started, man. <laughs> so when you have that rhythm, you know, uh, it's hard to it's hard to sniff out of the night eating. Um, and I was just pretty bad for that. And um, but at one point, like uh, you know, when I was when I was hooping all the time, and then I was probably in the best shape of my life five years ago. Um, and I think I can get back there, you know. Like I actually am really focused on that at the moment. So it's um, you know, getting back to physical form. Um, because mentally, I feel like I'm in a pretty good space. Like uh, mm. you know, and spiritually too. I just feel like my energies um are all pretty balanced at the moment. So doing this is just like, I guess for me, it's a little, little bit of uh just release, you know, like being able to do that. Um, and what else do I do? All right. Oh, honestly, being a dad is what I do, like, definitely. Um, I'm a dad for three and a half days a week, so, um, and I just I just love it, and I take it in my stride, and I don't do anything else when she's around. You know, we just have fun, go to the museum, go to, like, we have, like, some really amazing parks in Christchurch. Um, she likes to go to Denny's. <laughs> she's real big on Denny's at the moment, you know, which is just crazy to me because, like, I don't know, I took her there once because we were, like, driving past her and I go, oh, I'll take you somewhere. And we went in there and now she's, like, every time she comes, she's, like, can we go to Denny's? I'm, like, that's so that's so crazy. But, yeah. So um, being, a, being a dad is, 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 apart from music, that's what I do as is, is I'm a parent. And um, mm. I just love it. I love it so much. To me, at this point where she's at at the moment, it's like being a kid again, like, straight up. Sitting back, watching movies, you know, eating popcorn, like just playing memory with cards and like mm. um, tea tea parties and all that sort of stuff is just crazy. That's awesome, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, yeah. um, all time favorite, like all time favorite lyricists, top five. I know, I know, I hate these top five lists and all that, but I'm gonna ask you, top five lyricists for you, all time. Okay, so in any order. Yeah, whatever, bro. Any order. Just <laughs> I, I don't want to okay. put you on the spot, eh? I don't want to, like, pressure you, but, you know. <laughs> no, I got, I got um, Okay, Black Fork. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Nas. But. Okay. Oh, man. Everyone's going to hate me for this one. Royce of 5-9. I love Royce of 5-9. Don't even get yeah. me started. Carry on. <laughs> carry on, sorry, carry on. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I should say Because <laughs> I have to be true to myself. Yeah, I honestly hard, have to hard, be true to hard, myself. You know? I have to be true to myself. I have to keep it 100. Oh, Drake's my fifth. Really? Oy. Yeah. I've, I've had, I've, I, I, I feel like I've covered the bases. I feel like Oy. I've covered the bases. Yeah. So I can say Drake, you know. I see Black Thought. Black Thought's definitely like up there, for, like definitely top five. Yeah. You know, Royce definitely top five. Nas definitely, um, Park hundred percent. And it's got to be Drizzy, man. Far out. He's uh, just you can't miss. You can't miss. And um, you know, so it's the production on my album, the production on my album, like the intro, like Stormy intro. Mm -hmm. That's like a, you know, that that production, that beat is the ode to. My appreciation for Drizzy, like definitely. Okay. The how it goes in and out of the the um the the um the synth sample into the soul sample into mm -hmm. the, the gospel sample, like that sort of stuff. Like that's that's what we yeah we like that. 
Man, if people want to hate on me because I chose Drake, that's okay. It's not your top five. You can have your top <laughs> That's right. And you're saying, I didn't even get me started, but that's his top five. Um, before we get into your book recommendations, I want you yeah. just to kind of shout out uh, real quick your band, right? Because uh, yeah. Boomtown, tell us, yeah. tell us about this awesome band that you have. Oh, man. Go shut yeah, them so, out, man. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, uh, massive love out to Boomtown. Um, we've been going through this 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 whole process of um of creating this live uh experience of the album so um it's been insane um and we've just reached the point now where we've made this huge amount of progress in a short amount of time um i just spent last weekend up in wellington uh sorry the weekend before up in wellington and uh at victoria university and we used their um their rehearsal space there and we were, do we were pulling like you know 10 12 hour days just to try and um, you know get in as much rehearsal space as possible uh, before the hip hop summit, which is going to be like our maiden voyage, and then we go on tour for the whole summer. So we're doing ten dates um, up and down um, the country. Um, thanks to the New Zealand Music Commission, who um, gave us ten thousand dollars worth of funding to go on tour with, mm. which has been amazing. Um, and we're also working on an EP at the moment, which is called For the Culture, um, and. Yeah, this band is like just the most random cats taken from the... <laughs> it's crazy how we came together. We actually came together because I played this festival last year and one my bro who I was talking about before, Nazarite, um, who's one of my best friends, um, he goes to me, hey, man, uh, we've got this band sort of thrown together. Do you want to jump up and do a couple of tracks? And I was like, yeah, cool. So we did this hip-hop medley, right? And so mm. I was like, man, this is so much fun. Um, hey, do you guys like you know, want to do, like, this album, you know, do you want to take this on tour? Like, would, would you be keen? And so four of our band members, uh, John T. Karen, Blair, and uh, Theo, are all at um, they're all at Victoria University in their last year mm -hmm. of jazz school. Um, so that's our, our trumpet, our saxophone, um, our keys, and our um, drums and percussion. So, uh, and then Mark, uh, Mark Smith, who I mentioned earlier, that played the guitar on Stereotypical Interlude. Um, he's from Picton. Emil is a um, session vocalist and an amazing vocalist from, um, he's from Blenheim. And then Ben lives in Kaikota, um, Nazarite, and then I live in Christchurch. So we all live in different places. We were, we were coming together at Picton, which is where the um, that student video was was filmed. Right, I right. Got the wow. We were meeting there and um, at this, like it's so funny like this the, our rehearsal room is like is is joined on to like a diving um instructor place right so there's just all these like wetsuits and everything everywhere it's so crazy but um i think that the in summary like these boys these guys these lads that have sort of come together with me um they are about the process you know and um, I always put myself on the same level as them and just said, like, look, let's just do this together. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be a mad experience. And because of that being our, our cope-up or our mantra, like, it's just led to us being, like, really cohesive and getting along really well. And there's no egos, which is great. Usually when you've got, you know, eight cats together, there's going to be one or two. Right. And 90% of the time, it's someone like me with the most ego. So the main thing that I've tried to maintain, <laughs> it's true, the, the thing that I've tried to maintain throughout is like, look, man, you know, it's not about me. It's about, you know, it's about the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is like, let's reimagine these songs 
um, and to live instrumentation. And I just feel like we're about to enter into a, um, you know, into a zone where there's a bit of a gap, to be honest, because even though people have live bands accompanying them, there's nothing quite like, you know, um, especially going on tour. So I hope people are ready that are going to come out and see this tour. Hope you're ready for a crazy, like, horn-driven hip-hop that's going to be out the gate. So awesome i look forward to following that from this part of the world and then book recommendations bro as we uh get ready to wrap up what have you got for us i know you've got something there so <laughs> um so i got this one from the library actually i go to the library with my daughter quite a bit um and um yeah it's it's something that's sort of close to my heart because um well, sort of, I guess, growing up on this this cat's music um, has influenced me quite a bit. And um, it's a book called Prince, called The Beautiful Ones. Mm. And it's a it's a journey. This guy, Dan, basically um, set out to do this project with Prince in the last, like, sort of couple of months before he passed away. And it's really beautiful. Like, the imagery in there, like, it just puts you inside Prince's house with all these session musos that are all like contributing to this sort of last project that has never actually come out. I don't think, but um, I'm sure it will most someday. I mean, you know, like if you look at that Beatles documentary um, that took Peter Jackson to put that out. So Mm. I'm sure it just needs someone to sort of like, um, you know, to drive it forward. But the book is, is honestly amazing. Like I got out of it. Like there's lots, there's lots of pictures in there, lots of photos, lots of excerpts from his diary as well, and like some of the notes that he wrote down for certain songs and what they were trying to, um, I guess what they were trying to achieve with, like you know, uh, certain songs that they wrote, and also yeah, like I said, it just it, it puts you in the in the room in the, um, in the space where they were creating this last sort of like, you know, because he was actually going to retire, well he was going to like because you know he'd been through so much like. The whole, um, you know, losing his name because of, um, you know, how like old school record contracts would be like, they want to need use your name and your likeness in its perpetuity, you know, forever. So they want to own mm. you forever. It's like, you know, slavery on a piece of paper, pretty much. And so he dealt with a lot of that. That's why there were so many name changes and stuff because he wasn't willing to, um, to, to play ball with the record labels and that. And that's something that I've always respected about him as well um so that was that's my first one so definitely um i i actually um yeah this i got this from the from the crushish from Turanga from the crushish library but um yeah definitely highly recommend and the second recommendation i, w- I wonder if anyone's recommended this one before and i'm not being biased because my <laughs> friend did write this one but it's Yes, actually, I knew. I was wondering if you were going to share that. I did actually have. Yeah, I mean, I've had. Yeah, I, I was wondering if you were gonna go ahead. Go ahead, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I've known Matt Brown for shit since we were kids, pretty much. So Matt and Sarah wrote this book, and um, when I was going through this transition stage, um, through my my relationship breakup and becoming a father in that, and um just this whole, um, I guess, re- rejuvenation of self, uh, I learned about a little something called childhood trauma, right? And um, a lot of um, the, a lot of his themes in that were really confronting for me, you know, being a man coming out of a relationship, you know, um, just every chapter in the book is about, is, is a confrontation with yourself pretty much as a male, definitely. And um, I actually originally bought this for my mum. 
Um, and then I have it now. So she she's already read part of it. Um, <laughs> but I had to, I had to get, cause I had to, you know, I had to actually, um, I needed, I felt like I needed it more. And anyway, we've become really good friends now. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, looking at this book as a whole, I, I reckon anybody that's come from, um, a childhood of um, family violence and um, anybody that um, needs to begin the process of healing but first needs to be confronted by themselves mm. it is it is a reflection like definitely um, it's a reflection of self and also for me personally it was like a it was a real eye-opening ordeal to like to, to, to read through these pages and realize that I was actually in a lot of these chapters the person you know that that Matt was speaking to, and um, through that confrontation, I I figured out that I figured out my own, you know, how I was being toxic in my life towards people. Just the real, real small things as well, like you know, real five percent, four percent things in your life that you don't actually think are bad, and um, and how they affect people over time, like gaslighting and stuff like that, you know. Um, but this book here is I recommend it for anybody, like. Yeah, and and it is about breaking cycles, and it is about um, identifying parts of your world and your relationships as well, where um, where you're the person, you're the problem, not the solution. You know, mm-hmm. especially for for males, but also for females as well, to to have a little bit of a um, uh, insight into um, you know certain relationships at an early stage that they might be getting themselves into with these with these personality types. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, this book actually, like, you know, and Matt's, Matt's quoted on that is the reason why I've sort of, um, you know, I've been single ever since um, being with my, my daughter's mum. And the reason for that is because I just, I'm just not ready for it. And by through reading this book, I've understood why I'm not ready for it, you know. Mm. So I've just been on this journey of self-discovery and, um, and looking internally. And I think that that's important for any male. Um, doesn't matter what age group you are, I just think that, before you before you enter into anything with any with with um with anybody you know um that you should have a um a really deep knowledge of yourself and understand yourself and and what um yeah what makes you tick definitely so definitely this hundred percent she is not your rehab she is not your porn star she is not your competition man these absolute golden here so shout out to my bro and my sis. Thank you for sharing those book recommendations. That's exciting, bro. And then what's next? Um, you did mention that uh, for those listening right now, the album, uh, the LP, yeah, the album is available on Bandcamp, uh, yep. Big Sema 2K22 at dot uh, bandcamp.com. Check it out. You can buy it on there. Uh, but when is it going to drop on? other music platforms different platforms yeah so 26th of august um it drops worldwide on on all the streaming platforms and the same day that we drop it on um that the album drops on those platforms we're going to drop the the music video for the student as well that we've been just sort of like holding on to <laughs> you know um waiting for the right moment so we'll drop that the same day and then um yeah so it'll be accessible for everybody um i just want to say thank you to everybody that's um, that's paid for um, the album on Bandcamp. I appreciate you all. I did say from the start that like it would eventually end up on streaming platforms, 
And then I went through this whole I hate Joe Rogan phase. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, thanks to some of my friends that sort of talked me out of like, hating Spotify to the point where I just like never wanted to put my music on there again. But they talked me around and I understand this is the way things go and I get it. But I just want to say thank you to everyone that bought it and, um, and took in my kōrero of like wanting this album to be received as a full body of work. Yeah. Um, and and the art as as it was um, designed to do so. So yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate you all. So yeah. I want to thank you. We're wrapping up now, and I want to thank you for coming on the show, bro. I know you're super busy. I know you've got lots of things going on, um, but I appreciate you. Like I said from the beginning, like I was so shocked when you're like keen to come on the podcast. I was like, hey. Wozzles, this guy, he's famous as what? So, um, yeah, I've seen I that you, I've seen that you talked to Rizzi and Move. Yeah, I've seen that you talked to Rizzi and Move, and I was like, oh man, I've got to, i got to get on there and have a quarter. Must be some good I, chats going. Bro, yeah, like so. I appreciate all of you, you know, coming on board and just, you know, supporting the podcast, but sharing, you know, a bit of yourself. It's never easy, you know, to step into an unfamiliar space and and share you know, a part of who you are and especially your journey as, as a, as an artist. So I appreciate um, the grind and, and, and your, your craft. Um, just to wrap up the show, I always ask our guests just to drop that, you know, you've dropped many gems throughout this whole interview. So just final words, take it away. <laughs> um, my final words, are, um, in the, in the space of being a creative, look around you, and pull your friends in that are also creatives and create a team of people that are all striving for the same thing. And in the words of my best friend, Matt Matahari, lift is climb. So that means you um, pull people up, push resources out. And I think that this is this is um, most um, crucial for the culture of hip-hop, that we create community. Um, and by doing that, um, we help each other out and we lean on our peers rather than the industry. So, yeah. <laughs> 